This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Oh my goodness. Be careful out there. Honestly, honestly, you got to rethink your priorities today if you're, um, you know, um, somebody that would, would need to actually go to a place. Just, just watch yourself out there. There's this unbelievable phenomenon that's gripping North America right now. Um, and it's, it's called summer. And what happens in summer? I won't, I won't bore you with all the details. Um, I won't bore you with all the details, but it is, it is going to be uh, warmer these next three days in late July. I know that never happens. I know usually the warm temperatures come in March and April, but I'm going to tell you that this is just the weirdest year. And July and some of August, I've got to get a third source on this, but some of August is going to be quite warm also. Also, at a point in time. Yeah, I've got a friend in Phoenix. I saw him when I was out there in February. By the way, we went to um, the week of the Super Bowl. It was warm, 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 like really warm. And then it was like 17 and kind of drizzly rainy on, on Monday. And we met to go somewhere. Okay, we were going to play golf. That sounds elitist, but uh, but it's not. And uh, and he showed up wearing like a toque and a sweater. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. He's He's got a toque and he might have had two sweaters on top. He was sweater upon sweater. That's how they are in uh, in Arizona. But I know that for the last 22 days, there had been a, a stretch where it was 110 degrees each day. 110. And yeah, that's, that's unusual. I'm not going to tell you that things aren't unusually warmer. That's 43, and that's what it'll feel like in Toronto. Um, I checked in on him after those 110 degree days. Not every single one. And he's alive. It's weird. It's just the weirdest thing <laughs> that he's a healthy human being. Um, you know, we all could take uh, a, a couple pounds off. I certainly could. And he's alive, which is just remarkable. I keep checking in to make sure that he is. But this uh, this extreme sensation known as summer in North America is really remarkable. I saw a stat, by the way, yesterday that uh, obviously, the look, you know this, right? Cold weather kills more people worldwide than heat. Why are people why are people more willing to be outdoors in tents when they're suffering from homelessness? It's not great. I want everybody to have a roof over their head, an opportunity, um, you know, chicken in the pot, whatever the expression is. Um, but the earth is kind of a, a living entity and it's a warmer cycle in um, June, July and August than it is in December, January, February. Of course that that's true. Of course that's true. Um, but, but guess what? Our air quality also has been getting better for decades, decades of better air quality. Do not think in major, major cities, the air quality is better in 2023, save for the two days that it was really, really strange. A lot of boxes being checked by these wildfires. And those are a concern. I'm not going to tell you that they're not. No one is. Um, but the air quality's better in major cities than it was in like 1978, when our parents, by the way, were driving us around in cars with no air conditioning, both sets of parents were smoking and uh, and, the, and the windows didn't work properly because there was no power windows. The car smelled like um, like burnt cheese from from your snacks, smelled like crayons because you were coloring in the back seat. It, it the eight tracks would start to melt that your parents were playing and they were just blowing DeMaurier A's back at you when you would complain about something in the car. Like that's that was our life and that was our air quality in the 70s and, and the early 80s. But the stat I saw was rather remarkable. 
the, you already know cold weather kills way more people than hot weather. But I bet you didn't know that it's nine times, nine times. There's 854 urban areas in Europe, in Europe. And in the last 40 years, 203,620 people have died from cold weather, exposure, um, being outside too long, getting, you know, stuck on a hike or something or even a mountain climb. So 203,000 people have died from cold. Um, 20,000 people have died from heat. In 40 years, a continent that houses well over a billion point seven five people, 20,000 have, have died from heat. Um, so look, listen, again, the climate's changing. Climate change is real. I'm all for using fewer fossil fuels. I'm all for all those things. You're going to hear me talk about this top of the hour at seven o'clock with, I think, a really important announcement from uh, Nate Erskine-Smith with uh, the acceptance and approval of former Minister of the Environment for the federal government, Catherine McKenna. She's kind of had it with politics. She's kind of done with the political process. And she kind of stepped back into it yesterday to say, I've never seen a climate plan like this. I'm all in. I give it full uh, endorsement. Um, so, yeah, be it will feel warmer on, on Friday. There's no doubt about that. 43 degrees. But we've had um, we've had 30 degree days in uh, <laughs> we've had a lot warmer days than we're going to have today or tomorrow. Um, the summer last year and the summer before that and in 1993 and 1987 and 1968 um, and the like. And I could go back and on and on. Our air quality is better in major cities. It isn't even close. So that's my that's my story. And I'm sticking to it right now. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Excited to talk to our next guest. He is a Ward 13 counselor for Toronto Centre. He is Chris Moyes. Counselor Moyes, it's great to have you on. Thanks very much. It's been a while, but I appreciate you uh, making the time. Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, um, you have, uh, I think we talked about this in the fall, and I know we talked about this before you won the election. I know we talked about it afterwards. Um, it is an interesting time to be hopping into the fire, and so many things have happened in the city of Toronto uh, with the mayoral by-election and with issues that have come to the forefront that weren't exactly on on the front page uh, in October, November. I, I know you're dealing with a ton in your riding, but where I think the people that voted for you and even maybe the people that didn't are appreciative is you're showing up, you're on the ground, you're doing the work, you're weighing in on a lot of these big-ticket items. Are, are you sensing that from your electorate? I am, you know, I have like 16 hour days on this job, seven days a week. Uh, there's a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of trauma, a lot of issues happening across the ward. It's very uh, dynamic ward. We have seven BIAs and they're all very different and everybody has different needs. So I am kept busy all the time. You're out there Saturday uh, in the afternoon. There was a uh, protest about the increase in community violence. And I think there's two practical things. There's the physical violence and there's the threat of violence. And both of those affect everybody going north, south, east, west in your riding. It specifically um, this one business, Dudley's Hardware Paint and Decor, has been mentioned a few times. The owner said, I got to move. My glass gets broken every week. The insurance company's tired of hearing from me. These aren't unique problems, but are these problems getting better or worse in the last several weeks for you? You know, I have to say that um, it's been pretty consistent. You know, when I got elected, uh, you know, we had break-ins of small businesses along the uh, front street. The same thing happened along Parliament Street. 
and now you know again at Dudley's. Even my own business, because I just own a small business mm-hmm. in my ward, I own a pet food store in the St. Lawrence Market area, and twice this year my window was broken into. So you know I am empathetic to what Dudley's and others are going through. It's quite expensive. You know, I've mentioned that uh, it costs fifteen hundred dollars to replace a window, but your deductible is a thousand dollars. So most small businesses like myself just incur the cost. Otherwise, our premiums go up. But what really surrounds this issue, you know, is the mental health, the addictions, the underhoused issue in our city, and more so in my ward because most of the services are actually right here in Toronto Centre. And I think since the pandemic. It's just really amplified this issue even further. And so now we, I call it social decay. And now we have to find a way to mitigate some of these issues. And I know the city cannot do it alone. Uh, we don't have the financial means to do it. I mean, healthcare is a provincial responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, housing is a big part of the solution, not only uh, just housing itself, but housing wraparound services so people can get the help that they need when they are housed. And so we cannot just build housing right away. It takes time to actually build these physical structures. Um, but, you know, we do have some stuff gaps in place, and that's really shelters. Do you feel, as, do, I was going to ask, do you feel sometimes we're trying to do the six things at once? So we're trying to put six puzzle pieces into the six spots at one time, and we need to do one that solves one thing. And then we take another step, and then we take another step. And yet, again, we could all get in a room together, and, and we might respectfully debate, is it about mental health first? Is it about safe injection sites? Is it about housing? Is it about shelter space? Like It just feels like this swirling circle that never quite ends. Well, I mean, you cannot do one at a time. It's, if life was this simple, we've done it already. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's multifaceted and it's very complex. You know, and these are people's lives we're talking about. Not only those that are under housing and suffering from mental health addictions, but also the, the communities who surround uh, those people, let's say encampments. I mean, my community, I have the largest encampment in the city right now in Allen Gardens. And I live close to Allen Gardens. And I have seen what happens in and around the park and how it has impacted the people who live there themselves. So really, we have to look at this this in a holistic way. And we as a city cannot do it alone. Um, It's it's just not possible. And the province needs to come to the table. And the feds need to come to the table as well. Not to mention, you know, the the hole we have in the budget currently (laughs) that, you know, really amplifies some of the issues. I mean, I'm sure your viewers have heard about the refugee situation in Toronto recently. Oh, it was it was the only story last week. And I'm sure it's a little less of a story now, but but it'll it'll come around. It it goes in peaks and valleys, right? The news cycle and it'll be back in the news because we're not going to stop getting refugees coming to Toronto, fleeing their own country and trying to start a new life here. Chris, you nailed it. It's always going to be an issue. Yeah, again, these issues are very complex. And, you know, the needs of refugees and the needs of people who are underhoused are very different, right? So you cannot really put everyone in one bucket. But um, this job is very tiring, I want to say. I feel like I've aged 10 years in the last seven months. But, um, you know, we have a lot of good people, you know, who work in the city, you know, who are really doing the heavy lifting. I, I'm, I'm lucky in that, you know, our staff is dedicated 
and then the ground every day doing the heavy lifting. Chris Moyes is joining us, uh, counselor for uh, Ward 13. The one thing I heard people say about um, our new mayor, Olivia Chow, and they're, they're big Olivia Chow backers, but the one thing they told me during the campaign is the moves where you go ask the provincial government for funding and you press the federal government funding. They were worried, and again, sometimes things are chicken and egg. They'd say, well, she's never done it before, and I'm, I'm thinking, countering back, she hasn't had to. What's your level of confidence that she can hold feet to the fire and say, it is your job? She gets that letter from Christian Freeland two days ago. It's well documented. It got released to the public. And then yesterday she says, well, I hope they change their mind. And to some people, hope isn't going to get that done. You're going to have to push them and, pr- and press them a lot harder than hoping they change their mind. Well, how do you view it? Well, you know what, though? I mean, the mayor, of course, is going to do the best that she can, but she doesn't have to do it alone. I mean, there's 25 other councillors, you know, who sit on council. And I think, you know, we need to engage uh, our counterparts, um, you know, provincially, federally, and even municipally, because all of the things that are happening in Toronto are happening in the GTHA as well. And other councillors and mayors are having the same issues. So I think we have to use our collective voices to really um, amplify our concerns because we do want to, you know, better our society and our cities. Yeah. And, you know, we, the mayor, I, my advice to her would be to actually use me and other counselors to get help, get these things done. And it, and it can get done. I think so. Um, it'll be uh, one of many conversations we have about this, Chris. Um, do, do find the downtime where you can. Naps are a wonderful thing. Exercise a wonderful thing. I know you already know that. So stay as fresh as you can. We need you in the long term here. Thanks for the time today. My pleasure. Have a good afternoon. Chris Moyes joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Someone who's been active on the campaign trail in Scarborough, Guildwood, and she's kind enough to join us in studio now, is Andrea Hazel. It's lovely to have you in. We are hoping to connect. You're, you're, we're taking you right to tomorrow, which is election day in Scarborough, Guildwood, in, uh, in a provincial by-election. Are you excited? I am so pumped. I am excited. Um, it's been a, a, an amazing experience on the campaign trail, and I'm 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 in for it. And I I just can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. And now tell me tell me how this all starts. It manifests itself. Mitzi Hunter obviously runs for mayor. She didn't run last fall, but she decides early this spring that the wheels are in motion and it's something she wants to do. So there's there's going to be an opening and. She's done an amazing job. How would you sort of characterize how you viewed uh, Mitzi's contributions to Scarborough, how she's fought for Scarborough uh, in in a legislature, first in government, but then after the party loses a lot of seats in 2018 and and in the last election, she's still been a big voice and a big advocate. That's you're, you're open to follow in her footsteps. And, and yes, and uh, do I have, you know, um, big shoes to fill? Of course, she's she's been there for, for more than 10 years and, and she did amazing for Scarborough Guildwood. But what I what I love about it is that she, you know, stands out in our community and, and give us hope and confidence and, and a voice. And, and as a woman in, in politics, we really admire her for that. I visited the SEIU um, uh, union and spoke to a lot of their members, and they had so much amazing things to, to say about Mitzi. 
And so, you know, just just think about that. They said, you know, Mitzi, she's done great. She's fought, she's mm-hmm. fought for, for, for health care for us. And, of course, I relate with that because I've been fighting for health care on the grounds, Greg, yeah. from since 2012. And so it's, it's an amazing footstep to follow. And I want to be that voice for Scarborough Guildwood. I want to be there. I want to do that. Where I think your appeal is, is your Scarborough through and through. So you've been accessible to people you're hoping will vote for you tomorrow who, who would have voted for you in the advance polls. Sometimes we see in provincial politics, there's there's a little bit of a shell game and a candidate gets dropped into a suburb here because they think he or she will win. They don't know the area very well. That is far from the case with you. You've been on the board of directors for the Scarborough Business Association. Your kids are all you're just telling me your kids are all going to university there. That matters to be to be so impactful on your community. It, it, it matters. And and that's just a little tidbit of about me in Scarborough. Um, I am a leader of the Caribbean Philanthropic Council. That has been supporting um, all uh, Scarborough hospitals through fundraising and through educating um, the Scarborough residents from the grassroots level about mm-hmm. how important healthcare is. I always believe uh, uh, an amazing healthcare system uh, creates a vibrant economy, and and we need that in Scarborough. I launched my Women's uh, National Network Foundation because I I look around in Scarborough and, and I see our uh, female entrepreneurs uh, are struggling to start and establish and launch their business. Well, hello, yeah. because I'm a starter and I never give up on hopes and dreams for our Scarborough community. I took it up on my own and launched my my Winspire Women's um, National Network Foundation. So we encourage girls to become who they to become what they can see. Plus, we have a leadership summit every year that brings you know top leaders from Scarborough together to inspire us. And I am helping those youths find jobs. It's yeah. very important, very very important in Scarborough. Um, to help those youths find jobs. They're graduating from colleges and universities, and we forget that patch. I want to bring good jobs back to these youths in Scarborough. Well, and some of, this, some of this is about um, keeping smart people, great people here, and, and letting them develop, keeping them, you know, close to home where they where they grew up and we know this we're losing people to the prairies or the maritimes that's both because of cost of living andrea but that's also jobs are more available there we're losing we're certainly losing people to the states we're seeing these numbers and they're concerning with people leaving the gta people who want to stay it's it's not a choice it's just it's an economic reality that they either can't find the job that they're qualified for or even when they do it doesn't pay them enough to afford to live in this area we need to fix that and so that brings me to another point, uh, Greg, because I have spoken to tens of thousands of residents at the door. And, and you, you're right on, you're right on the money ball. What I kept hearing is affordability, mm-hmm. affordability, affordability. I've, I've seen, um, residents. Um, carrying on business from in their home and they're using that as a supplemental income. And so we talk about the um, the sandwich generation and they say to me, Andrea, I am supporting my mother and father and then I have to look at our children. And my wife and I, we are working, but we are, when we're home or I don't want is home, we're carrying on our side business in the house. 
So we've got people working 24-7 to make sure that they can carry on and pay their rent because I'm hearing like 70% of their salary is going in rent and the rest of it, they have to think, do I pay for medication if my parents need it or now do I pay for food? I visited the food bank in Scarborough because no one left Anton in my canvassing. I am visiting everyone in that riding. And in the food bank, there's people like you and I, you that got has it. jobs. And they have jobs. They're not destitute. They're not between jobs. They're not down on their luck. They're not suffering from addiction or mental health. It, and and we need to help every single person. The, the concept is we shouldn't have food banks, period. It's great that they're there, but they, that should be a last resort for people. And it certainly is something 10 years ago. If you had a good, steady, full-time job, that was that would be the last place you would need to go. And now people do. It's a problem. So speaking, speaking to um, the, the folks in the line, um, it's, it's not new for me because, as I said, I've been, I've been in all the grounds, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, of Scarborough on, on, a, on a wider scale. So I know, you know, food security is, is a, food insecurity is a, is a, a very big thing uh, for Scarborough. But especially the, the, the seniors on fixed income, they talked about, you know, um, we cannot have hospital privatized. We, we cannot have healthcare privatized. Where are we going to find the funds to pay for that? So, you know, we've got seniors that are really worried about that, yeah. you know, impacting their income. And then, you know, we have the affordability crisis. I, I, I would say both are the top issues that I'm hearing while I'm on the grounds. Um, I definitely want to dig more into healthcare uh, with you after after we break and, and get a news update. But let me ask you first your reaction. Obviously, transit's been a big issue in Scarborough. And you saw what happened two days ago with the car decoupling. Thank heavens nobody seems to be seriously hurt. But it's just another, you know, for lack of a better term, it's a it's a black eye. It's it's we have not done the residents of Scarborough proper at the municipal level or at the provincial level, giving them adequate transit to get to and from where they need to go for work or even for fun. We haven't done the, the best job we can. And we need we need to change that also. Well, the promises has to stop. It really has to stop because every time there's an election, municipality-wise, uh, provincial-wise, you know, we've got all these promises for Scarborough. And they cannot get in their seat without the entire Scarborough voting, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you see how we impacted the last municipal election. And so, yeah. so, so with that drive and with that promise, we need to see it in real work in Scarborough. And, and uh, I'm, I'm happy when I read the paper this morning or, or yesterday. I'm so busy right now that time is, I, know. I have no it's idea of what kids, time uh, it is. Your kids probably ask every day. I'm like, yeah, it's Wednesday. Come on, guys. I have Smart. no idea what day you it is right now. You have a great excuse. You have a great excuse for not knowing what day it is. Exactly, exactly. Andrea. But I, I, read in, I read in the paper that um, they're going to be having a 70 to 80 buses um, because that's a high um, you know um, traffic um, area there's a lot of a lot of residents in Scarborough that that uses that to to going to work and my only hope is that we can get those buses out of time the people can get to work in time there is no delays and and things are smoothly organized and running but that RT, it needs to go like immediately. I hope they they decommission it like right now. You don't want to see the trains because, on the track again. No, yeah, no. We have too many valuable lives that we don't want to put their lives at risk. Like it's yeah. it's 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 really old. We can see the results of that. Um, but I was terrified yesterday because I have my children and they 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 travel. They use the RT to get into Kennedy. 
Um, my eldest, you know, goes to University of Toronto yeah. downtown doing his PhD, and I was, I was, I was so worried when I heard that. I, I called and I checked on three of them. Andrea Hazel's with us. Uh, she's looking for votes tomorrow for Scarborough Guild. With Mitzi Hunter won four straight elections uh, in Ontario from 2015 on. It's been a Liberal seat the last six elections, basically since the riding uh, was created. One of the things about the Liberals, Andrea, I spotted last year, and I think it worried a lot of people within the Liberal Party, is they couldn't delineate. This is in the June 22 election. Couldn't delineate between liberal policy and NDP policy. If somebody was listening, going, well, what makes the liberals different than the NDP? How can I how can I make sure I know what your party's platform stands for versus what the NDP's? What would you say to them? And so I, I want to talk to you about what I'm hearing at the doors. Mm-hmm. And 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 we we are we are at a change of the way we live since the pandemic. And there's a lot of businesses that is still coming off the pandemic. There's a lot of uh, residents, you know, that hasn't um, got their their good jobs back. I am hearing again. I'm going to reinstate it. The affordability crisis in Scarborough. I'm not hearing the differentiation of Andrea. Please define why you're different from from the NDP. Because what they're looking for, and I could tell you at the yeah. doors that I'm knocking, is a person that is going to be their voice in Queens Park a strong voice um, for helping Scarborough and the Scarborough Guildwood um, to make changes to the affordability crises that is happening right now, and then privatization of healthcare. And so these two points, issues, I would say, is what I'm hearing consistently at the doors when I'm knocking. Here's where I, um, and I know Scarborough really well because my son had a knee surgery at Centenary, and then he had to go back for rehab after that. So I know that hospital. I feel like I know every... I know where the vending machines are. I know where the bathrooms are. I know where every corner of that hospital because we were there so much in the last year. Um, but but I what I see in healthcare is you're right. There is that concern about the conservatives with privatization. Um, Sylvia Jones as health minister. Um, it's not landing well with enough people I talk to that that. But but people are looking for a little bit of a middle ground. What I hear from people is no, we don't want to be the United States with healthcare. But our world has changed. We're we're a province of 15 million. We're a country of 40 million, and a healthcare policy from 1966 may not work. That's the that's the that's me and others critiquing the NDP. Going, we need to make the system better for the people on the ground. And I think the liberals actually have an open mind to looking at models in Europe. Um, you know, ways of investing into healthcare that makes people want to work here want to stay here what you know people travel to the states and they get a surgery done and they look for health care here or they sign up for the cleveland clinic we need to keep the health care money in the system it should be public funded but i think the liberals are more open-minded to kind of come up the middle and and be sensible about our changing world do i have that right yeah we want to come up the, the middle and we want to be sensible and you know greg innovation we got to understand that that's going to keep changing. It's going to keep happening and we got to keep up with it. What I disagree with is the condition that our healthcare workers are working in right now. Absolutely, We've got um, less doctors um, on the floors. We go into the emergency rooms and we have to stay um, maybe five, six, seven, eight hours before we get looked at. And so... Um, without without proper funding, 
without proper attraction for nurses to come back and walk into the hospitals, for doctors to come back and walk into the hospital, we will continue to face these crises. But I tell you, Scarborough 3 hospitals, from ever since, we were getting funded at 1%. And that is why the, the hospital, ha, ha, the, the foundation had to launch the Love Scarborough campaign. And they yeah. have done very well. And I'm telling you, that is one of the best campaign in the country. It has been. People know the campaign. It's not like a commercial and you're like, what was I just listening to? It, it hits you. This is it's real. Co- it's a conversation and it's this real. This is real. Exactly. And I remember when, I, when we were out here raising funds for the hospital before the Love Scarborough campaign. Um, we would be awarded with maybe $5,000, um, you know, $500,000. And we think we hit the jackpot, whereby the other hospitals were getting donations in millions. That is how Scarborough is forgotten about. And so, you know, I, I applaud um, the Scarborough Health Network Foundation. They've come, they came out very bold. They've made a bold statement, and it's making a big, impactful difference. And I hope that they can t- continue this strategy, you know, to the next five years. Um, the hospitals means a lot to me. I've worked with the foundation. Um, they featured me in the letter C because they were featuring strong Scarborough leaders in all the Scarborough letters. And I get C for community all-stars. Yeah. So jumping into politics is is not my reason for being that face of Scarborough, face of the healthcare. You know, as a you president, get of Scar- I get things done Yeah, and I get to the point and I create it if it's if there's not an opportunity to get it done. Yeah. So I'm a fighter. Where where do you feel like the party's going um, in terms of its leadership? I, I know it's non, not fair question to ask you who you hope wins, but I, but I think good conversations are happening with this leadership race, maybe more than the last one. I do think there's better candidates all told, and, and I'm hearing good things from them. Even yesterday is a great example. There's Nate Erskine Smith, Catherine McKenna, who's who looked done with politics and is very frustrated with the process sometimes. Um, comes comes down and says, this is a climate plan I, I can actually endorse. This makes sense. It's not just about, you know, tisk tisk. you need to do this. We're not doing enough of this. It's about green energy, green economy, green jobs, stimulates the economy. I, I look at that from Nate. I look at Adil Shamji. I look at, obviously, Bonnie Crombie said success. I, I like what I see, but I think for the Liberal Party, you need all those people after the leaders determined to to just raise the boat up again and and you can be a big part of that i just think you need all hands on deck you need to find candidates that really want to run for the liberal party as you did you need you need name recognition you need some star factor i think that's the only way back to to run to run the government again i do and i i I am with you i'm i'm totally with you and what i want to say to this is that um, before I entered the race, uh, I've had, you know, um, business leaders and, and business community leaders came up to me and says, Andrea, you've done everything on the ground. Like, we, we need you to move forward. We need you to elevate. We need you to go, you know, one step further. We need your voice down at Queen's Park. Yeah. And that's what the liberals are looking for is, is that next shine, bright, vibrant, you know, leaders that can pick up the party and, and get going. This is an amazing time to be with the liberal party. It is rebuilding. Why would I come in in a party when it's at the top? I want to be a part of rebuilding that party. And all the leaders, they're brilliant. They're smart. They're energetic. I've seen them. Um, they, a lot of they, them are out with you tomorrow. Yes, yes. They, they, they have been campaigning more than one time for, for our campaign. They've been out on the ground canvassing. And as I said, they're brilliant people. They are vibrant. I've seen them. And 
policies for, for climate change. I have three children. I got to think how my kids are going to be able to breed in, in this environment 10 years from now. And so for anyone, any of the leaders that are coming out with a progressive climate plan, I said, you know what? That's amazing. Let's keep going. But I am supporting all of the leaders because they're all great. And yeah. um, my focus right now is bringing this W, W-I-N, to the Liberal Party on Thursday. Thursday night. Thursday night, yeah. Uh, Andrea Hazel wants your vote if you're in Scarborough Guildwood right now. Um, she's coming in off of a, a successful run, certainly for Mitzi Hunter there. I wish you all the best. Like I said, I, I think your your energy is contagious, but you've already you've already done the work on the ground. This is just taking it to the next level. Like I said, they're not ha- dropping you out of a helicopter with a parachute and going, hey, learn about Scarborough. That's not and learn about your riding and learn about your people and what makes them tick. You're you've already done all that work for decades. So it's your opportunity now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can feel it. I, I I've had like numerous texts, numerous conversation. You know, I, I've never seen. And, and this really makes me emotional. Mm-hmm. When you work so hard for Scarborough and Scarborough Guildwood and you've got people coming out of the woodworks and volunteering, like we're overcapacitated with volunteers from the community. I'm not talking about ministers sending their employees while they get a paycheck. I'm talking about employees taking time off from their work, yeah. coming in to our campaign office and saying, I want to volunteer for Andrea. We That's need- a good sign. And, and yes. I'll tell you, because that if people are giving up their nights, their weekends, their family time, their recreational time, their, their jog, their walk with their wife or husband, that really means you're affecting them. That means you're impacting them if they're giving up their own. Because anybody can say anything, write anything, tweet anything. When you're out on the ground, you give up your time. It really means something. I can't thank you enough for coming in. I'm out of time, but we'll have more conversations, I'm sure. Thank you so much. I'm for the people. I'm for families. And I will fight for them all the way down to Queens Park. I am ready for this job. I am so ready. And thank you so much, Greg. Sure. Thank you so much. Andrea Andrea Hazel with us for uh, Scarborough Guildwood. Tomorrow is Election Day and Election Night. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let's all get high together and let's talk about this. I don't smoke pot. I'm not into pot. I find people uh, who uh, are into pot really amusing and funny, though. I do. I do. Um, it's one thing right now that uh, I think is more prominent in society. And I heard this clip yesterday. Two things happened about the same time within an hour. I saw a stat about how many Canadians are using marijuana um, since it's become legalized. It's changed a lot year by year. I think you'll be fascinated by the number and I'll give it to you in a second. But I also heard Kevin Durant, NBA super duper star, uh, say in a it was like a town hall forum and he was asked about going in and meeting with the commissioner Adam Silver of the NBA and basically saying like like every NBA player is is on is on on pot uses pot on a regular basis for I'm sure for medicinal purposes here's Kevin Durant a global uh, superstar icon billionaire NBA legend whatever here he is a public pioneer how about that I wouldn't say that either <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I just enjoy the plant. I mean, as simple as that. And um, so, what did you what did you tell Adam? How did you how did you persuade him? Well, he smelled it when he worked, when he walked in when I walked in. So I didn't really have to say much. You know what I'm saying? He kind of understood where this was going. And then I mean, it's, it's the NBA, man. Everybody is like, uh, I hate to be. Everybody does it. To be honest, I mean, it's like wine at this point. 
Okay, so there you have it. It's like wine at this point in the NBA. But my feeling is, since 2018, we're almost at a half decade, uh, adults can possess up to 30 grams of legally produced cannabis. Adults can grow up to four cannabis plants per household. I don't think that's as well known that you can still grow your own. But again, I'm not in the community. I have many friends, though, who are. And I'm finding myself more in social occasions with people partaking. I'm totally cool with that. That's fine. You do you. I'll do me. I'll stick to my uh, my my Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> 416-870-6400. I want to hear from you if you've increased your cannabis frequency, if you've increased your cannabis use at any time in the last 12 months. I think the pandemic was something where we saw rates went up for alcohol. So why wouldn't it go up for pot? You may want to get yourself into such a uh, haze that you're like, is this happening? Am I really not allowed to go anywhere? Are the tennis courts locked? What's shelter in place? What's going on? You prefer it over alcohol and you were waiting for it to get more, I think, socially acceptable because you prefer it. You don't wake up with a hangover. Don't wake up with a headache. All that stuff. You're able to control it. It's better for pain. Uh, in terms of medicinal purposes, uh, joint pain, knee pain, shoulder pain, whatever, than alcohol is. And when Kevin Durant, NBA global superstar, says, well, I use it, I'm not just thinking he likes the hazy high of it. It's it's a contact sport to play 82 games in the NBA, 40 minutes a night. But he's basically saying everybody uses it. So, you know, the next time you go to an NBA game, it's 10 guys on the floor at the same time. It's a good bet seven or eight have have smoked pot in the in the last like 24 hours. I don't think that's out of control in terms of a number. We only say 19 percent of Canadians age 16 and older are using it. And that is a 2022 survey. That's about as fresh as we get. And that's up from 17 in 2021, but only 12 percent in 2016. So more more people are using it. Is there pros? Are there cons? And how is it affecting your universe? Eager to get your phone calls, and we'll do that right now. Steve, you lead us off. Thanks for the phone call. 640 Toronto, you go right ahead. Oh, hey, good morning, Greg. Morning. How are you? Great, thank you. Uh, I don't think I uh, have increased my usage since it's been legalized. I've uh, been smoking it for a lot longer than that, maybe, you know, 15-plus years before it was legalized. When did you start? Uh, uh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna say I was probably 18. Okay, you're uh, you're not under oath. I appreciate the honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> Statute of limitations is long gone. If you did something oh, yeah, uh, wrong on it, it's okay. Yeah, yeah but no, I, I don't. I don't think it's really. If I, I mean, it's easier to get now, but that's about it. Um, I do have an interesting story. My my daughter, she's 18, um, and uh, was with her mom up at uh, their cottage, and her and her friends decided to go. And to the uh, to the uh, native reserve, and they got themselves some gummies. Yeah. And of course, because it's the you know native reserve is a little less regulated, and they were able to they were able to purchase them. Um, and I would have had I known about this beforehand, protested because it's very it is unregulated. And well, uh, they had a very very bad experience about it. And so I think she kind of learned a lesson that, you know, maybe you should just, you know, look at what you're buying before before you go ahead and ingest it. You know I, I, mean? I, I hear that. I'll give you something that here's my only concern. And I just said I'm not a moralist, but I'm a 
I'm practical and I'm also realistic. I hear from enough teachers. Let's just stick it to high school, I think. Let's just stick it to high school. I hear from teachers who smell it in the hallway. I mean, they smell it in the hallway, let alone the bathrooms and the stairwells. Like we're turning stairwells at high schools into smoking lounges. Um, Teacher will be like, I turned my back, two kids taking a hit off vaping pens. Like they're not exaggerating here. So whether it's edible products, vape pens, um, look, cannabis, is, it's been it's the more, most accessible it's ever been and inconspicuous. Here's where I'm less concerned when I say I'm less concerned if my, if my kids drink someday. I don't think kids are, are waking up at nine in the morning going, you know, a nice Long Island iced tea before that, that uh, history class kicks in. They're not. They're going to drink in social situations like we did. High school dance, Thursday night. Go, maybe going to a concert when you're 17, 18 years old. But I think kids are showing up high in school. So teen cannabis use is a thing. And more and more teacher, teenagers, per the teachers, are coming to school high. And it creates a bit of a disarray in classrooms. Uh, and also, you're going to have that, again, you drink, uh, wrong thing, wrong time, too much in high school, hungover. Don't want to do it again for a couple weeks. I mean, we've all been there. I've never been good dealing with a hangover. And too often, I used to watch my roommates drink one night and then drink the very next night to the same. I never could. I never could. So maybe I'm lucky, low tolerance, or I'm something because I'm low tolerance. But kids are showing up baked, like for the day, high at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at high school. And they get they go every day quite like that. And that's not great. That's not that's a lot more dangerous than the drinking thing there off the soapbox. Shane, thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. You're on 640 Toronto. Hey, Greg. Um, I've been smoking. Well, I don't smoke anymore, but I've been a user for about 30 years. I used to grow uh, for many, many years. And, uh, you know, what? since it's become legalized, and uh, I, I mean, uh, unlike your last caller, I, I go to the res frequently because – um, if you're a real grower, you know that growing is a very hard job. You don't just throw a few seeds in a pot and you're, you're growing a lot of marijuana. That's just not how it works. But mm. uh, the way the pricing is now, I mean, uh, it, personally, I don't buy from government stores because um, uh, the prices are so expensive for the dosing that they give you. Uh, and I, like I said, you can go to a, a reservation and buy an ounce for $50. And I mean, an ounce of really good weed. But, so, so uh, I, what I, I'm fascinated by the, in 30 years. So in your first two or three years, do you sort of struggle with the right? Like, again, I think we all regulate our alcohol use. We can figure out our tipping points, yeah. etc. Did, yeah. are, are, is that, is that a thing in the first two or three years where you can have too much too fast? And then you sort of go, Oh, that's, that's a bad trip. I can't do that again. Yeah, so, I mean, typically they call that greening out. I mean, I've done it once in my life, but I took probably 350 milligrams in gummies without knowing. Uh, and now my average uh. is about 50 to 100 milligrams a day, and uh, I, I use it because it, it just helps me with a lot of stuff. It I got you. I, I, I got you. Shane, yeah. I got to keep moving, man. Thanks for the phone call. Pete, you're on 640 Toronto. Wanted to get you on. You're a paramedic, so you see some things. Tell us about your perspective on this. Well, see some things, but I also did a bit of research on this because I found it very interesting. It was becoming legalized. Uh, I don't smoke, never have. I'm not being judgmental. You want to do what you want. Feel right. free. The issue that I have, well, there's three issues, but the main one is um, it's become acceptable. So kids that are 16, 17, 18, 19, up to 25 are using it fairly frequently. 
And I can tell you there's a tenfold increase in mental health issues, anxiety, uh, schizophrenia, things like that, when you use it heavily with an undeveloped brain. The second part of it is a really good study just came out of, I believe it was Finland or one of the Scandinavian countries that talked about uh, use of CBD for pain, and it's all in your head. Um, Basically, they they demonstrated that the placebo is just as effective for pain because people who are advocates for marijuana use uh, lean heavily towards the whole pain usage thing. So they've already got it in their head that it's going to relieve pain. So um, it really doesn't work that way. You want to use it to get high, feel free. But what bothers me is I can't walk down the street with a glass of Merlot and mind my own business but I have to put up with everybody who is smoking when you're not allowed to smoke except in designated areas. Yeah. It's become completely acceptable to just walk around with a blunt. The other issue is you drive down mm. the 407 and all of a sudden you catch a really strong whiff and you realize that the minivan, two cars in front of you, is hot boxing the car basically while they're driving. Really? That's this, oh yeah, it happens all the time. You never, you've never had that. You're driving down the road and you catch a straw. I haven't, I haven't yet. I, 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 but I do smell it in parking lots. So that that's already a parked car, but it's fairly obvious when people tumble out of a car. I, it's the irony is Pete, I go to the gym and I, I smell people and I'm like, did they finish their workout? No, they're just starting it. They're blazing it up. And then they're going in and doing a bunch of sets for an hour, which is again, I wouldn't have a couple glasses of wine before, uh, hopping on the treadmill for, for an 8K run. But again, you do you. I don't get it. But it's the same with work. Uh, yeah. Uh, types that are very, uh, I don't know if strenuous is the right word, it's more uh, stressful, such as high steel workers, guys who do roofing, things like that, where there's there's heights involved and, and concerns that way. I don't know any roofers that aren't baked when they go up. And, are you serious? Oh, yeah. Like. <laughs> But it's such a precise thing. You're on a ladder. You're you could drop uh, something, yeah. right? You could Doing slip. Roofing is not a precise thing. <laughs> it's a uh, it's fairly simple to do, but you have to have the nerve. To oh man, up on a steep slope and do that. I, I get re- I get ready, Pete. I I gotta move, man. And you're a wonderful source, uh, being uh, doing what you do, uh, and I appreciate the phone call. I get writing a good song on it, uh, but there you have it, roofers. Okay, I need my roof done. I don't want to be giving uh, tests. Um, for roofers, uh, qualified or not qualified, at uh, at eight thirty in the morning when they show up. But uh, good to know you've you've impugned an entire industry, an industry we count on. Because I want to go up there.